I have the privilege and honor of talking to you today about Easter. Uh, and, and oftentimes when, I, when, I, when, I, when I'm learning about things of, of the, the, the Bible, messages of the Bible, uh, I learn oftentimes through, through my relationship to my own, my own sons. I have three sons. I talk about them often uh, because the Bible calls uh, God my heavenly father. Sometimes it's hard for me to understand my heavenly father. And, and what God does is he, he helps me to understand in the context of how how I feel, and I, my love's imperfect to my kids. I don't even scrape the surface of God's love for me, but it helps me to comprehend better God's love for me. So I have three young boys. I have an eight-year-old, six-year-old, and two-year-old. My eight and six-year-old are in, are in school right now. One of them goes to Barclay Elementary School. He's in second grade, and one of them goes to the kindergarten center. If you're in Phoenixville, you know those are two different schools, and you typically ride two different buses. So our mornings uh, are very similar every morning. We get up, we eat, we go to the bus stop. Uh, Carter's bus comes at about 7.50, and then Lincoln's bus comes at 8 o'clock. Uh, and so every day, I take them up there on a typical Sunday. I drop off Carter. I drop off Lincoln. They get on the bus. 3.30 rolls around. My wife she typically goes to pick them up. Carter gets dropped off at about 3.35, Lincoln about 3.45. So this past Monday, uh, it was time for Leah to go pick them up. She was in the office working here. We only live five blocks away from the offices here at Franklin Commons. So she left and said, I'm going to go pick up the boys. It's 3.30. She's not late. I want you guys to get, she, she's not late. She's right on time. She's, she's, she's being a good mother. She gets there on time. And, and so she leaves at 3.30. I think nothing of it. About 15 minutes, 10 minutes past, something like that. I'm working in the office and then there's a courtyard in our, in our office area over here. And I see my oldest son, Carter, come running out of breath. Uh, into the into the offices and I'm like what are you doing here did mommy forget something uh, because my wife is a typical woman she always forgets something everybody old men said you said amen we don't we don't get it we don't understand it and so anyway and all the ladies just got mad at me don't get mad because it's true you know it's true and so there's always something hey can you get this can you get that have you seen one of my favorite questions have you seen this like no, I haven't seen it because you put it somewhere. You should know where it's at. So anyway, uh, that's a little, little side note for you. Uh, if you're newly married, go find it for your, for your wife. But if you've been married for a long time, you know it's a serious problem that you need to pray for your significant other for. So anyway, uh, so he comes running in. And I'm like, what are you doing? Did your mom forget something? He said, no, mom forgot me. I said, what? Mom forgot me. I said, what do you mean mom forgot you? She's there sitting at the bus stop right now. I guess my bus came early, and I got there, and I did what you told me to do. I said, what did I tell you to do? Because listen, most times what you tell your kids to do, they do the exact opposite, right? What did I tell you to do if we're not there when your bus gets there? We told you, run as fast as you can to the house, push the code on the garage, and go in the house, and we'll be there to get you shortly. If your bus shows up early, and I want to stress the early part, we were not negligent parents, it was the bus driver's fault that they were there early. If your bus driver gets there early, go to the house, stay there. He said, I did that. I typed in the code, I went in the house, and I heard something. He's never been home before alone. I heard something. And I got scared, so I ran. I was running. He said, I ran. I ran five blocks, right, to the Franklin Commons. And in my head, I'm going, okay, you ran five blocks. That means you crossed 113. If you live in this area, you know 113 is a busy road. And my eight-year-old doesn't look anywhere when he's walking anywhere. I'm like, you could have been killed. And he's running. And then he looks at me. He gets in the office, and he, you know, we're having this conversation. I, I, forgot, I failed to mention, he's hyperventilating, and he's embarrassed, and he's about to cry. And so I bring him into a side room because I didn't want him to have to cry in front of the other staff members. And I'm talking to him through this. We called the, the mom and said, hey, I have him. He's here. Well, you know, what, what are you doing? He's here. He's safe. Hung up the phone with him. What would you do? I ran because I was scared. And then in the midst, he's starting, he's starting, he's starting to like, hyperventilate. As I was running, I'm in the middle of the blocks. I realized if you forgot me, you also forgot Lincoln. 
I said, we didn't forget you. Let's get that straight. We're not going to deal with this in a counseling session someday. Your bus came early. He said, well, whatever. If, if you forgot me or the bus came early, whatever, I left. That means Lincoln is sitting there by himself. And so as I'm running, I'm getting scared for my little brother because he's sitting there afraid by himself. And then he said, when I saw you and I made eye contact with you, I was afraid because I thought you were going to whoop me. So he's hyperventilating and I get down on my hands and knees kind of because he's down, he's low and he's drinking. Uh, and I look at him and I said, hey, bud, I'm not happy that you didn't listen to me. I know you ran because you were scared. Being in a big house with weird noises and all that stuff, it's scary. And, and I know you, in the middle of it, you felt forgotten. But what I want you to understand is even though that you, that you disobeyed me, even though that you ran, and even though that you felt forgotten, even though that you were scared, man, I'm just glad that you're safe. I'm just glad that you're here with me. All these thoughts of him getting hit by a car and stolen by some, some Buick or something like that, and stuff going, no offense if you have a Buick, but... Watch a lot of Lifetime movies. So, and as he starts to hear me say that, he breaks down in this, and instead of this, it's just this deep sense and this sigh of, my dad's not going to whoop me. I'm safe. They didn't forget me. What I thought was true. And he just breathed out, and I could tell it was like, and God whispered in my ear, that's Easter. People all over this world, you, you run because you're afraid. In the midst of running, you, you feel forgotten. And then you get so bad that you won't run to the Father because you're scared of the response he's going to give you. And so today I want to take you into a story in the book of Luke chapter 15 because the implications of Easter, they're built on the response of, of God to our hopeless situations. Now that, that's what Easter is all about. It's God's response to our hopelessness. So I want to take you into the words of, of Jesus Christ. Jesus lived on this earth for 33 years. In his 33 years, they put him on a cross. He was innocent. They nailed him through his hands. They nailed him through his ankles. They spit on him. I'm pretty sure he hung there naked. If you study uh, what Romans used to do to people they crucified, it got even more gory. They put a crown of thorns on his head. They whipped him. They beat the crap out of him. You couldn't even tell who he was by the time he was on that cross. All of his followers abandoned him. And he hung there. And it seemed like it should have been over. And the Bible tells me that he hung there in my place. It's, it's amazing to me to think about. That's how my life should have ended. I should have been alone, abandoned, isolated. As a result of what's been done and said about me, they cursed him. And the Bible says that he, he died on that cross. And they put him in a tomb. And they rolled a stone in front of it. And they sealed it. And they put the Roman soldiers, the most powerful army, the force on this universe in front of it because they had heard a rumor that he was dead, but he was coming back. On the third day, the stone began to shake and the most powerful men, the most well-trained army soldiers, they ran because the, the stone began to shake and the angel showed up and all this stuff happened. And Jesus, he walks out of the tomb victorious. And the implications of it for you and for me is, I'm not sure where your life is at right now, uh, but the empty tomb means that there's still hope for you. That there's there's still, still a plan. If your heart's still beating, God still can do something in your life. 
And so I want to show you through the story in the book of Luke chapter 15 through the words of Jesus because what Jesus did often is he tried to explain, re-explain the love of God because at this point there was, there was the people that were clearly in and the people that were clearly out and the people that were clearly in had made it clear to the people that were out that they were not welcome in. So Jesus, he comes on the scene and he says, no, no, you guys are completely wrong. And you can imagine if you have your, your set uh, rules and principles in place of, of why that God likes you and why that you're in. And Jesus comes and he says, no, 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 you guys are, are completely wrong. You can imagine that they would get angry with, with Jesus because it was about power and position, good and bad. So I want you to check out Luke chapter 15 with me. It says in Luke chapter 15, verse number one, really important. Luke is a, is a doctor, just so you know. So he's very detailed. He puts things into the, 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 the Gospels. That he, that, he, that, he, that he wants to be there, not by accident. He says this in, the, in verse number one. He says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. That, 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 that has major implications to who Jesus was. Now the worst of the worst, we, we don't understand tax collectors and sinners we do. Maybe we can relate to them. But these were the worst of the worst people. These were the people who for years were told, you're out because of your actions. God doesn't love you because you don't do the right things. You don't say the right things. You don't worship the right things. You don't memorize the right things. Your, your life is messed up, so you're away from God. And so Jesus comes, and they start to get close to Jesus. They feel accepted by Jesus. But check this out. Some of you will enjoy this. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. It's the church people. They're like, wait, 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 wait. He's hanging out with the wrong people. Listen, if you feel like you're the wrong person today, you're in the right place because Jesus is here. And when Jesus is here, the wrong people feel okay in his presence. So he hears them muttering. Could you imagine? Because Jesus is God, so he hears everything. So they're, they're like trying to tell secrets in Jesus' presence. He's like, I hear you. I hear what you're saying. So let me tell you three stories to make God's love for this world plain and simple. So he tells three stories about three lost things. He tells a story about a lost coin. Tells a story about a lost sheep. Great stories. And then he ends this powerful chapter, Luke chapter 15. I believe, I believe it could be the most powerful chapter in the Gospels, Luke chapter 15. About the love of God. Let me tell you a story uh, about, about a son and a dad. So he starts with this story. The Bible says that, that Jesus can, continued. There was a man who had two sons. Everybody say two with me. We're going to talk about the younger son. The younger one said to the father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Now, if you just read this fast, you're not really going to understand what's going on. He's trying to explain to them the gospel message. The, the Bible says in Romans, we, we call it the Romans road, Romans 3.23, Paul, a murderer. He was a murderer that was saved by Jesus Christ, changed by Jesus Christ. We'll often say he went from murderer to missionary. He says in Romans 3, he says, for all have sinned and have turned away or fallen short of the glory of God. For this is the story of every person on this earth. You have a father, and maybe you don't completely understand the father, but I, if, if, if it's me and we can step back and read a little bit into this story, I want you to think about this, this relationship this father has with this son, all the hope he has for this son. He was there when he took his first steps. He was there when he said his first word. He was there when he took his first camel ride. He was there when he hit his first rock over the, the fence and, and hit prehistoric Flintstone baseball. He, 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 he was there when he tried his... His first uh, 
stake. He was there. He was there when, when he went on his maybe his first date. I'm not sure, but he was there. And, and the whole time, as a father, his plans for the son's life are much bigger than his own plans. He, he's been saving up for this son. He has a purpose and a plan for this son. The same thing is true of you and God, no matter what you believe about him. The Bible says of you that God formed you and grafted you in your mother's womb. That long before anybody was thinking about you on this earth, he was thinking about you. Long before your parents ever got together and made you. And if we need to talk about that, we got issues, right? Long before they ever got together, that God knew you. That God destined you for, for purpose and meaning. That God numbered the hairs on your head, the beats in your chest. That God was thinking about you long before you were ever thinking about him. That his plan for your life was much larger and greater than any measly plan that you've ever had for your life. And so you can imagine with me. Now, when the son comes to the father and says, hey, dad, I know you've been saving up money for me. I know you've invested in me. I know you have purpose and plan for me. I know all that. But listen, I don't want to wait. I just want the money. This is equal to my two-year-old son, Harrison, who gives me the greatest hellos of any kid I've ever had. He runs, he's, daddy. This week, he comes into my office, and he has a pack of M&Ms. He's a little bit chubby, and he gets one, he gets a one-track mind. And so instead of saying, daddy, he just says, I got M&Ms. And I said, wait, 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 what about me? And I got M&M's. And he came to me, all he wanted me to do was rip the M&M's open and give them to me. He could care less about hugging me. I was devastatingly hurt by him. He comes to his father because his father loves him and he wants his son to understand a relationship and not rules. And he wants his son to understand that he has put rules in place because he wants to protect things from him, not keep him from things. But listen, you can't understand rules till you have a relationship because rules without a relationship always leads to rebellion, which is where the son is at. He does not comprehend the father's love. And so he says, give me the money. And he leaves. And just so you understand how, how hurtful this would have been, this is like him telling the dad, I wish you were dead. I don't care if you die. Which the Bible says that we all have done that to, to, our, to our God. We've been put here, and then we go, I could care less about you, God, and we, we walk away. We walk away. And the story continues, and at this point, the two, the two listeners, the, the bad people and the good people, the Pharisees and the, and the church people and the, and the sinners, they're, they're, they're pushing in. They're going, okay, the, the Pharisees are going, okay, let me hear what's going to happen to this guy. I love a good case of you get what you deserve, because that's what religion is all about. The Bible says this, that not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, set off to a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth and wild living. Took his dad years to save up the money. Not long after that, he takes the money and he squanders it in wild living. We're not sure what he did. We can just paint a picture of what he did. He parties. He seeks relationships. He tries to find meaning in, uh, meaning in, in possessions instead of purposes that his father had destined him for. And he ends up hitting rock bottom, the Bible says. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country. And he began to be in need. He began to be in need. The Pharisees are going, he's getting what he deserves keeps going, it gets even worse. Got so bad he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country. He sent him to his fields to feed pigs. Now for Americans, you're going, what's wrong with that? A little bit of bacon, all you can eat. For the Jewish listeners of Jesus' day, they're going, huh. The church people are going, 
That's what he gets. Jesus is telling a joke here. It's gotten so bad, he's having to work for a farmer that's raising animals that Jewish people aren't allowed to touch. If they touch these animals, they become unclean. And if they become unclean, they become untouchable. And if they're untouchable, they can't get close to God. Then you have the other listeners, and they're going, I can relate with this young man because they've told us for years we can't be close to God can't know God because of our mistakes, because we're, we're sinners. They've labeled us and destined us according to the actions that we've taken. They're going, what's going to happen to him? We, we know what people have told us is going to happen to us. God is going to wipe his hands of us. The Bible says that, that the wages of sin is, is death in Romans 6. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And, and what you've earned yourself from that living is death and hell but the gospel is not a message of giving you what you deserve the gospel is a message of grace it's a message of grace and so as the accomplished religion religious people press in and, and, and the and the sinners press in they want to hear the outcome of the story i want you to see the next part the bible says so that finally uh, he comes to his senses he opens his eyes up and he says how many of my father's hired servants have found have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'll set out. I'll go back to my father. And I'll say to my father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. Next slide says this. says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your servants. So he got up and he went back to his father. He comes to his senses. And he goes back. Here's the problem with this situation, though. He is completely underestimating his, his fail, failures. He's going to go back, this, this young man who squandered all this money, he's going to go back to his father and he's going to pay him back. What, what, what took his father his entire life to save up, he's going to go back and make things right? This is, this is the response that many people make to, to their sin. They completely, they completely underestimate the amount of sin that they have in their life. They completely underestimate the debt that they owe God. They completely underestimate or overestimate their ability to kind of work their way back. And so they'll start doing this and start going, I'll become religious. I'll start to go to church. I'll sit in the right seat. I guess I'll read the Bible. I guess I'll pray more. I won't curse as much. I'll drink a little less. I'll sleep around a little less. I'll kind of try to make God happy. That's religion. Religions all start at the same place. Man, something's broken. I know we have a creator. I can tell by life. It doesn't make sense that we just showed up. I'm not from a monkey. But I don't really know how to get back to this creator. And I've come to the conclusion that he's mad at me. So I'm going to try to make things right with him. This is what the son, he's come to his senses. But he's completely underestimated the depth of his sin. But here's the good thing. He's also completely underestimated the love of the father. He's completely, because he never knew the father. He knew the rules of the Father, but he never had a relationship with the Father. So the Bible says he gets this big apology. Some of you, 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 you've been here before. Man, life is going so bad. God must be mad at me. So I'm going to come up with this great apology to how I can make sure when I'm walking, I don't get struck by lightning. Check out this response of the, the Father. The Bible says this, but that while he was still a long way off. The, the Bible says this in, in Romans 5, 8. It says, but God demonstrates his love for us. That while we were still sinners, while you were still still in the the pit that you've created, while you were still in the hopeless situation, that Christ died for you. 
The wages of your sin, what you earned, was death and hell. When you stopped breathing on this earth, you would have taken your next breath separated from your creator forever. But God gives us a free gift. He reaches his hand out to us through his son, Jesus Christ. He dies on the cross. He raises from the dead. And he demonstrated that love for you while you were still far from him. So the Bible says that while he's still a long way off, his father sees him. What's the implication of that? Every day that his son had been away from him, he had longed for his son to come home. Every day. Listen, friend. Every day that you've woken up without purpose and without meaning and without hope, every day that you've struggled through past insecurities and pain, every day that you've struggled through addiction, every day that you've struggled through anger and bitterness, every day that you've walked away from God trying to find meaning, your Father has been longing and waiting for you to come home. And the Bible says the Son begins to walk to the Father, but while He's still a long way off, you see what it says? It says the Father sees Him and is filled with compassion for Him, and He runs to His Son, He throws His arm around His Son, and He kisses His Son. The same son that told him, I wish you were dead. The father comes to him. And the question becomes, why is he running to the son before the son gets there? Here's why. Because it was customary of that day. That if you ever did something this atrocious, ever did something this evil to your dad. That, that, that cities and towns, that they were close-knit communities and everybody would have known everybody. It's always good when everybody knows your business, right? So if he ever decided to come home, before he ever got back to his father, close to hugging and talking to his father, a typical father, they would sit him in a seat, and when they saw the son coming, they would bring him shamefully into the city. They would surround him, all the people would surround him, and one of the elders of the city, the older men, would come into him as he's standing in front of everybody, as everybody sees his shame. And listen, if it's this situation, he's standing, and we, we, we can build an a understanding and, and a kind of a, a theory. He, he, he's not dressed nicely. He stinks. He's been working with pigs. His hair's messed up. He's dirty. He doesn't have shoes on. He's a shell of what he was. He's completely broken. They're going to bring him in front of his dad, and an elder's going to bring a piece of, of pottery out. And as everybody's kind of sneering at this son who messed up so bad, he's going to smash it at his feet. And the message was, is what you did is unfixable. You're never allowed back here. So the father, he's been waiting. Because he knows if he doesn't wait and his son gets to the city, that the sin is going to get to the son before the father gets to the son. So what does the father do? The father runs and beats the sin. It's the cross. Before sin is allowed to destroy you, before sin is allowed to wreck you, before sin is allowed to destine you to hell, that he demonstrates his love that Christ died for you on a cross and then he rose from the dead. He defeated sin and he defeated hell. So the father gets to the son and he hugs the son and he embraces the son and he kisses the son. And listen to the son, he still doesn't get it. Hey, 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 dad, dad, I, I, I really messed up. I sinned against heaven and I sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your, your son. But watch this. Watch what it says next. But the father says to his servants, I want you to see this. He's trying to apologize to his dad. And, and in Greek, uh, what his dad says to him is, shut up. It's not about your sorriness. It's not about your apology. It's not about any of that. I've loved you since the moment you were born. Hey, stop talking. Hey, 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 servant, real quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. The best robe, the one that's been hanging there and waiting for him. Get a ring and put it on his finger, the ring of sonship. Hey, man, you don't got no shoes. Get those Air Jordan sandals and bring them to him and bring the fattest calf and kill it. Go get Susie. Sorry if your name is Susie, but that's the cat. Go get the calf, Susie, and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. 
My son was dead, and now he's alive. He was lost, and now he's found. And that's the gospel. The gospel restores everything that Satan has stolen from you. See, friend, you can either be defined and destined by the mistakes of your life, by the pain of your life, by those that have caused pain in your own life. You can either be a victim for the rest of your life and said, if I would not have only gone through this, I'd be better. Or you can, you can understand that, that you wandered away from God, that we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That the wages of, of sin is, is death and hell, that you, you wake up every moment without purpose. That's, that's hell. You'll die and spend eternity separated from your creator. But you can also understand that God demonstrated his love for you that long before you were ever thinking about him, that he was thinking about you, his son died for you. And the rest of the Roman roads, the road back to God says this in Romans 10. It says, for all who confess and believe that Jesus is Lord, that they will be saved. Romans 10, 13 says, for, for anyone, for anyone. Maybe you thought for a long time that the Bible was for, for, for religious people, that church is for religious people. But I would hope and pray that, that if God could just get to you today, you would see, man, no, no, no. The person who wrote what I just read to you was a murderer. He was far from God. And in a moment, Jesus changed him. And listen, Easter is not a weekend we celebrate. The tomb's always empty. Easter is a moment that God offers people. The moment where God says, it's not over. It's not over. Your life is not over. The, the addiction that, that overcomes you, no longer. The sin that entangles you, the, the, the burdens that you carry, the shame that you carry. The Bible says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That when you come to Jesus, your past is forgiven as far as the east is from the west. That Jesus chooses to make you a brand new creation. My question is, will you be like the son who decides and comes to his senses? I'm going to take the first step back. You're not far from God. You're not far from God. If you just confess with your mouth and you would believe in your heart that as you begin to turn to God, that what you'll see is a God that's been running after you. Every moment you've walked away from him, he's been longing to have a relationship with you. He loves you more than you can even fathom. That's Easter. You stand up with me all over this house. Would you bow your heads and would you close your eyes? Just in a moment. And what I want you to do at Plymouth Meeting in Limerick and here is... I don't want you not to worry about anybody else sitting beside you because the story of Easter is for individuals. It's a celebration that we make as a church, but the decision is for individuals. No one can decide that you're going to have a relationship with God. I know uh, maybe we live in a, a Catholic area where you can be confirmed and you can be sprinkled, but that's not what the Bible implies. The Bible does not imply that your parents can make a decision for you to have a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. The Bible implies that you need to do that, that you need to respond. It's a gift, and, and, and I could pass you it today, but the truth is, unless you grab it, it's worthless. And the way you grab the gift all over this house at other campuses is you respond. I'm going to turn away from my life of sin. I'm going to put my faith, my hope, and trust in Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that when you do that, that his spirit will fill you up, that he'll bring freedom that he'll bring life, that he'll bring hope, that he'll bring the peace that surpasses understanding. It's a decision you make. And then the Bible also says that it's a decision you make for eternity. That as soon as your heart stops beating on this planet, whether you live another year or you live another 90 years, that your next breath will be with Jesus in heaven. That one day every person who walks this earth will stand before their creator, will stand to be judged. 
For those of us who walk in sin, the Bible says the wages of that sin is death. In other words, we'll be judged and don't underestimate your sin. Please don't. Your sin deserves hell and death. That's what makes the good news so good. Can't have good news without the bad news. You've walked away from your creator. You've rebelled. Maybe it's because you haven't ever known of his love, but today you do. And your life can be changed forever. So either you stand before God, your creator, and he'll judge you according to your sins, and you'll hear, depart from me, I never knew you. Or for me, I'll stand before my creator, and it won't be about what I've done. It won't be about what I've accomplished. It won't be about the goodness of my own heart. But the Bible says when you confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that when God looks at you, he sees his son. And Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. This is not a religious activity. This is a decision you make to place your life and your hope in the gospel, the power of the risen Savior, that if you would confess anyone in this room and believe in your heart that you will be saved. And the Bible says in that moment, it's a moment that changes all other moments. I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've done. It's a moment that changes every other moment in your life. If you need to make that choice, if this needs to be your moment, if you can feel God knocking at the door of your heart, I can tell you he knows you better than you know yourself, and he has been drawing you to himself. He desperately wants to have a relationship. He doesn't want you to walk one more day on this earth without knowing why you're here. There's nothing worse than feeling like a mistake when God when he invested so much to put you on this earth at this exact moment in history to accomplish something historical through your life. It starts with the relationship with Jesus Christ. So with no one looking around in this moment at other campuses, just out of respect, maybe you don't believe anything I'm saying, but just out of respect for those that, that God is doing something in their life. And you say, you know what? I'm not worried about anybody else. I can feel God speaking to me right now. I'm going to ask you to do something really bold. The same way my kids, when they want me, they put their hands up in the air. I'm going to ask you to do that in a moment. If I'm going to respond to the gospel right now, I'm going to ask you. Just, I'm going to put my hand up in the air. And when I put my hand up in the air, it's a sign that I'm going to be praying with you. And I'm going to ask you to repeat after me. Maybe you've never prayed before. Prayer is not a religious thing. It doesn't need to be eloquent. It's simply you calling out to God. But the first step is you responding to the gospel like a son responds to a parent. I want you to pick me up. I need a relationship with you right now. So if that's you at our Plymouth meeting in Limerick campus, you say, you know what? Today is going to be my day. It's my day. This is going to be the moment that changes all the moments. I believe what you're saying, and I want to put my faith, hope, and trust in Jesus Christ. Would you just shoot your hand up in the air in this moment and say, this is going to be my moment. This is going to be my moment. If that's you in this house at our Plymouth meeting, our Limerick campus, I see a hand right here. Is there anybody else who says, Pastor, that's me. I'm going to make Jesus. I see another hand right here. I'm going to make Jesus the Lord of my life. Would you keep praying? I see another hand. Yes, yes, yes. Is there anybody else who says, Pastor? I'm going to make Jesus the Lord of my life. Let's keep praying. If you keep, you're keeping here, God's still kind of calling on you. Maybe you've missed that first one, but you can still respond. God's still drawing you to himself. You can feel him knocking at the door of your heart. You can feel the heat inside of your chest. That's God drawing you to himself right now. Don't walk out of this moment. Don't walk one more day broken. Don't walk one more day being a shattered mess of what you were supposed to be on this earth. Is there anybody else here? There's three in Limerick and there's one in Plymouth. Meaning, would you clap with me here? We're rejoicing with you at our other campuses. Is there anybody else in this place? Is there anybody else in this place at all three of our campuses? I'm going to ask you, church, would you pray with me? If you raised your hand, I want you to repeat after me. If you're a believer, I just want you to repeat this prayer after me. Would you pray? Everybody say, Jesus. Come on, let's say it like he rose from the dead. Say, Jesus, thank you for coming to this earth and for dying on that cross. Jesus, I believe that you rose from the dead.
And I believe it's through your death, your burial, and your resurrection that my past is forgiven, that my present is full of hope, and my future is secure. In Jesus' name, from this day forward, I'm a brand new creation. Jesus, I'm a fully devoted follower of you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody here at other campus, you said amen. Come on, let's clap together.